This is Beyond Belief Sobriety, a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, thank you for taking some time to listen to our podcast. This episode features a conversation with Sam Arsenal Wilson. She is the co-founder of Confidant Health, an app-based hub of resources that supports people seeking help from problems with substance use. Their model is evidence-based, accessible, affordable, and empowering. I think it's a great resource, and it was an honor to have Sam on the podcast to explain Confidant Health and their revamp behavior change program. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. If you're seeking a tangible way to maintain accountability and prove sobriety to loved ones, you have to try Soberlink. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, they've created a remote alcohol monitoring system that revolutionizes the way people document sobriety. The system includes a breathalyzer and uses artificial intelligence to display your test results in a calendar format, helping you analyze your habits and prove to yourself and others that you are, in fact, not drinking. It even has real-time results, facial recognition, and tamper detection, so no one will question the validity of your results. Soberlink and I have created a guide called Five Tools and Strategies for Those on a Secular Path to Recovery that you can find at Soberlink.com slash bbs so if you're ready to take the next step in your recovery journey mention the beyond belief sobriety podcast when ordering Soberlink, and you'll receive 50 dollars off their device and now episode 268 sam arsenal wilson from confident health a little bit of background that's helpful in understanding Confidant is really understanding my co-founder and I. So my background is in addiction policy and advocacy. I've worked on state and federal policy um, to increase access to evidence-based practices in treating addiction um, and really specialized in payment reform for addiction treatment services. And that led me to, in my last role at the National Nonprofit Shatterproof, Um, to developing the nation's first public-facing rating system for addiction treatment facilities so that people could understand whether or not the facilities that they were looking at were offering best practices um, that would actually help put them on the best path to recovery. So we got that system up and running in six states. It's called Atlas. Um, And, you know, I was at a point where I had a really great team behind me. I knew there was momentum behind that work and it would continue with or without me. But what it had exposed for me was that we had a system Uh, serving people with substance use issues where no one is happy, right? Patients aren't happy. They can't get the help they need. Caregivers can't get the support they need. Providers feel like they're burning out. They can't provide the care that's going to help their patients. And, And payers are also not satisfied. And so I thought, okay, we can continue to rate quality and see incremental improvement across the industry. That's super, super important, but it's going to happen with or without me. And what I felt we could do is take technology and ultimately design something to fill those gaps that we knew that those groups were facing um, to really transform the way that we treat substance use in the U.S. And during that time, I met my co-founder, John Reed, 
And John is a serial health tech entrepreneur. He had specialized in digitizing care pathways in the physical therapy space and uh, really knew how to use technology to support providers in delivering better care and support patients in getting better outcomes. But he had been personally touched by addiction, um, a number of friends in his life that he's lost substance use and wanted to do something after successfully having an exit from his last company. And so we started collaborating and ultimately now that's how Confidant was born. And really what we're trying to do is to change how substance use is treated. I, I wonder if you, if maybe this would be a good time to just kind of go through some of the basic services that, that you offer and how people can access those. Yeah, absolutely. So Confidant Health offers a range of services from what we call DIY digital interventions. So people can use the app on their own if they're not ready to take a step to meet with a clinician or a therapist or a coach yet. And that's where we can talk a little bit more about revamp. And we also offer clinical services. So we offer up to prescribing. So we have a team of nurse practitioners on our on our platform um, who can prescribe medications for both substance use disorder and commonly co-occurring mental health conditions. We really focus on getting people a proper diagnosis and a personalized care plan. Um, We also have therapists in the platform and recovery coaches, as well as support groups. And those are tailored both towards the individual who's struggling with substance use, as well as their family members, because we know that addiction can really impact the whole family and supporting that family unit is critically important to a, a path to recovery. What I liked about uh, what I read about what you do is that the what whatever whatever goals somebody has for their recovery, they set themselves and whatever path they, they choose, they're, they're going to design their own their own recovery system, I suppose. Is, is that is that a fair way of putting it that it's going to be more tailored for that individual person? It's super personalized and it's informed by science. So based on people's responses in the system, we propose things that they should probably consider adding to their plan. Um, And that might include working with some clinical professionals or engaging in a chat bot and doing some exercises on their own um, that based on what they're working towards are going to be the most effective for them. And what we realize is that for a lot of people, you know, substance use may be a symptom of a larger problem, and it also may not be their end goal. So how do we support them in, you know, identifying the motivator that's going to bring them lasting change and then achieving that goal? It was very interesting. You know, a lot of people think that the end goal is always um, abstinence, but that's not always the case, is it? Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. So we definitely support moderation. Um, Moderation management technically does often start with a period of abstinence, um, but that doesn't have to be the case for everyone. Um, A lot of folks in our platform use our services to what we say, like, change their relationship with drugs and alcohol, build a healthier relationship with drugs and alcohol. Um, That was actually also my own personal experience, kind of coming up in the substance use advocacy space and dealing with my own struggles and kind of figuring out how to navigate my mental health and substance use in a way that worked best for my lifestyle. Why don't we talk about, I guess, revamp itself, how that's accessed and how that how that's how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So folks just have to download the Confident Health app and they'll be prompted to go through Revamp. And Revamp is an acronym. Um, I know there's a lot of crazy acronyms in this space. So just to just to explain what that means, it's kind of the different sections of this behavior change tool um, that guides people through their experience at Confident. So it stands for rewards, values, activities, mind, body, and plan. Um, And so I can take you through kind of each of those steps and and really what they mean. 
Sure. So reward is where we ask folks, you know, to let us know what they're working towards. Um, in some cases, this could be changing their substance use. Um, in other cases, it could be improving their relationship or, you know, reducing their stress, working on their anxiety or their depression. And so this is where they're kind of setting their intentions. Right. This is kind of the goal that they want to achieve. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And then the next part is values. So values clarification is a psychotherapy technique to help people understand, you know, what's motivating them, what's the most meaningful thing in their life to really set their purpose and vision. And this can help to create more meaningful treatment goals. Okay. Is that similar to, I don't know if you're, are you, if you're very familiar with smart recovery and they have a hierarchy of values, is it, is it kind of like that? It is like that. And, and, um, you know, in the same way that it's giving folks a framework and eliciting their motivation. I think that's really smart. Um, I, I never really thought about it until I've just learned about this recently. But when you think about it, you know, we all have things in our life that we value. And those things fall by the wayside when we get involved in an addiction or, or some other behavior that we need to change. And it's really valuable to take a look at, you know, what are the things that I really value in my life and what's standing in the way of that now? And not only when you're in the early stages of recovery and getting over an addiction, but even for someone like me, who's been sober for a long time, you know, how am I spending my time? Is, is, is my time being spent in areas of my life that I most value or am I doing other things that, you know, I'm spending my time elsewhere that in activities that I don't really value as much. Right. Exactly. And you, you're, you're kind of touching exactly on the next part, which is the activities, right? So when you identify your values, now you use that as a framework to think about the activities in your life. So whether that's, you know, using drugs or drinking, or it's going for a hike or spending time with your family or finishing, you know, checking your email at the end of the day, are those activities in line with your values? And if they're not, that can cause a lot of problems and kind of how you feel. And some of that may kind of cause downward spirals, but if you can realign with your values um, based on those activities, you know, we find that you'll be more successful. Yeah. I think that, I think that's really key. Is this where, when you, you decide if you want to work individually or if you are going to um, work with either a therapist or a coach? You can do that at any point in the process, and it really comes to fruition in the plan. So that's where you can personalize what's going to be a part of your journey, and you can add those steps in later on as well. Okay. What I found really interesting that I haven't actually seen before, and I'm sure maybe there's other organizations that do it, but is in the community payment model that you have. So, and what I found so interesting and helpful about this is that you really make this, it seems like that, that, um, price shouldn't be a barrier. Cost shouldn't be a barrier. And we, we don't believe it should be. So our community payment model allows people to see our cost before they book a service, you know, no surprise bills down the road. They have a recommended price that we ask them to pay. It's slightly above our costs and it includes contributing to the community And if they can't afford to cover our costs, they can name their price for the service. So that's allowing access, you know, regardless of ability to pay. Yeah. And you do a really good job of kind of helping people kind of navigate, you know, where they, where they fall on, on that, you know, is it, is this going to be an inconvenience for me that makes it more difficult for me to do other things? Is it really creating a very serious hardship or not? And the majority of the people pay the, the recommended price. And then a lot of them pay extra 
to, to help fund those who for whom it is a struggle. Right, exactly. And the app subscriptions are also optional, but those go to supplement the care for individuals who aren't able to cover the costs. Okay. And has that worked pretty well for you, that model? It's working pretty well. Um, we we do think that there is a need if we're going to offer clinical services, which we do, to to be able to have people pay through their insurance because they're spending a lot of money every month. Their employers might be spending a lot of money every month, and there's an expectation to use insurance to cover the cost of your healthcare services. But we're finding that the community payment model is a really important way to provide access, especially because even with insurance, we know that copays can be prohibitive, right? a weekly visit with a nurse practitioner or a therapist, that can add up to hundreds of dollars a month very, very quickly. And it's an easy decision to say, oh, you know, this is too pricey and I'm not going to spend this money on myself. You know, I'm going to use it elsewhere. And so we think it's really important to expand access to care to, to make sure that cost is not a prohibitive factor. And how does it work as far as if you decide that you're, you're going to sign up for either a therapist or a coach? And do you have like defined um, times where you have appointments or is it a a situation where you can contact them, you know, throughout the day? It's um, typically defined appointments, but you can schedule those appointments on your own. So rather than having to wait and go through a middleman, you can see the uh, prescriber or the therapist availability right in the app. So you can see when our nurse practitioners have their next appointment available or book your appointment a few weeks out. And so that allows people to kind of plan their day. But if something comes up, our chat feature, you can message the provider. It's HIPAA compliant and secure. And so in some cases, that's useful for either moving your appointment or if something comes up and you need to chat in the interim, then that's that's something that we allow as well. Okay. Now, can you help me understand a little bit about uh, the bot chat? Yes, yes, of course. So um, our chatbots, or sometimes we call them health bots, um, we use them in a number of different ways. So we use health bots to uh, assign education to people, to provide exercises to people, and That can be, again, when people are working on their own, we can say, hey, this is something that would be really relevant towards what you're working towards, and they can go through that chat bot. Or if they're working with a provider, we know that 85% of the information shared during medical visits is forgotten. So, you know, you could be nervous talking to a provider for the first time, and they're going through your course of care. Maybe you're going to start a medication for opioid use disorder or alcohol use disorder, which I know you've covered a lot on the podcast, but you don't remember everything that they told you. So these health bots can be used to say, here's some information. Don't worry. It's here to take you through step-by-step everything you need to know. And then the final way we use the health bots is for assessments. So we're really focused on objective measurement and using uh, validated assessment instruments to track progress and allow the providers to deliver measurement-based care so that they can see if someone is trending in the right direction or the wrong direction. And we actually have objective information on whether or not our patients are doing better or maybe need to tweak their plan a little bit. That is so interesting. So you're actually able to measure how someone is actually doing um, as they go through this then? Yes. And that, I understand, is rare in the treatment industry right now, is being able to actually measure outcomes and how you're actually doing. It's very rare um, and it's difficult. And it, you know, part of it is it 
you do rely on the patients to provide that information, but we find that the response rates are higher when you're using that information in your sessions, you're talking about it with the individuals, and you're not just having them, you know, fill out information on a clipboard that they feel like is never being used. Um, and so that's really valuable. And for us, we track it across a number of different domains. So self-reported mental health, um, PHQ-9 and GAD-7, which are common assessments that are used kind of across the mental health industry, but also symptom reduction and the outcomes that matter to the patients we're working with around social determinants of health um, and other factors in their lives. And in addition to one-on-one sessions with coaches and therapists, you also offer um, groups. Yep, we offer support groups. Um, Our most popular group is our family member group. Um, So a a place for family members to come and connect. Um, But we do have groups, some that are focused more on abstinence and, you know, sobriety, as well as others that are focused on developing healthier habits, kind of our positive spin on moderation. And you and you mentioned already that you have nurse practitioners that can actually prescribe for medically assisted treatment. How does that work? So it's very similar to just meeting with a prescriber. Um, everyone starts off with a diagnostic evaluation. We always assess people um, when they enter our services to ensure that they have a proper diagnosis. It's not atypical in the substance use space for certain conditions to be missed along the way. And so that's really critical to us to get it right. We also want to provide comprehensive care. So folks in our system about half present with a co-occurring mental illness. Um, Most often that's anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, ADHD. And so we want to make sure that we're treating that and identifying what's the first priority here and what's the most critical issue to solve. In the cases where medication is appropriate for the individual, um, then the nurse practitioner can prescribe that medication and monitor it in the virtual setting. So they'll continue to meet um, through the app, through video chat, just like we're talking right now, but in the Confident Health application, check in as needed. And oftentimes they'll also be paired with a therapist and a coach to support them in their journey. And they would access the medication just at their local pharmacy? At the local pharmacy, yep. Okay. Yeah, this is amazing to me. I, I really, I, th- I, see, I see this as kind of the, the future possibly of how people will be accessing care rather than um, what's being done now, which, which is a little bit more difficult, I think, for people to access care now um, if, the, if they have to go physically someplace to, to do it. Um, and it's also kind of breaks, it also kind of helps with uh, people who might be maybe hesitant of actually going to a physical location and seeing somebody face to face. Definitely. I mean, it's discreet, right? It's from your phone. You can do it from your own home, but also that allows people to not worry if they aren't close to a treatment program, right? We have got a lot of folks in rural areas who previously it was inaccessible for them to get to care and it makes it much easier for them. Yeah. And you can, you can check out every the the providers um, on the site. You can read little bios of them and and decide if you want to utilize that or not. Uh, which I think is great is that you have the different options of you can start off maybe just doing it solo. You know, just checking things out on your own. Uh, you have some. You have like some. Uh, do you have like some courses that you can take? Yep, those are through the chat box. Okay, so you've got all this stuff you can do just on your own. And then I wonder if you you have people that might do that at first and then decide they want to take the next step. Yep, absolutely. It's pretty common, actually, where folks come in and they say, oh, I'm just here to learn. 
after they are in the app, you know, they read some articles, they get more information. And I'm not sure if it's that something happens in their life that makes them ready to take that step, or maybe they're more familiar and more comfortable. Um, they book an appointment and we're actually able to help them with their drinking, their substance use and their mental health. And, you know, it's, it's great that we have the ability to engage people. We really think that that's super critical and transforming the system because, you know, nine out of 10 people aren't getting help. And a lot of it is because they aren't identifying with the solutions that are currently available to them. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. What kind of solutions are they being presented with and why is that an obstacle for some people? Yeah. So the way that I see it, um, the addiction treatment system is designed to treat addiction. And addiction is severe substance use disorder, right? It's the end stage of a progressive spectrum condition where mild and moderate substance use disorder are oftentimes not known by people, right? Like people don't think about it that way. So when they think about addiction, they think about people who are in dire straits, who have had really severe consequences, and they don't identify, right? They're othering. They're saying, that's not for me. And the solutions available are designed for those folks more often than not, right? Like 20-day programs and very costly interventions, or they're not getting connected to care until they've already had an overdose. And so when you're at a place where substance use is impacting your life, but your life hasn't fallen apart, you don't know what to do. Right. And so we want to provide a space for that. And we actually call that pre-addiction. So changing mild and moderate substance use disorder, which you know, the general public doesn't have a word for. We need to be able to describe it. We need to be able to understand it. We need to be able to remove the stigma that substance use can progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And and give options for what that might look like. And, you know, to your point with this podcast, those options are rooted in science, right? These behavior change programs are rooted in science. There's evidence behind them. And we want to make those more readily available. to people. I love that. I think that that is really where we need to be as a society is to understand this, understand this um, addiction on a spectrum. I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I was 19 years old when I first was experiencing problems with alcohol to the extent that it was really causing me problems in my life and I wouldn't get help. And the reason I wouldn't is I just figured I was too young. There's, it wasn't possible for me to have a problem at that age. I just, I just figured I couldn't because I, in my mind, I thought about, you know, a person that has an alcohol problem. They're a lot older. They're having physical um, ailments, you know, their liver is going out or whatever, you know, and I wasn't having those kind of issues, but (laughs) <laughs> there are uh, there are people to this day even younger than that who are experiencing problems and if you can if you can catch it then it would be so much better than than having more serious problems later on and also not not everybody requires the same treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, addiction is one of the few diseases that we wait until the end stages to offer treatment. So we need to shift that paradigm. Um, I agree completely. And I think, you know, many Americans recognize it. They just might not have the word for it, right? Dry January has become extremely popular. So, so, so they're, we're moving in the right direction, but you know, to me, this also has to span into drugs as well. Um, you know, with the increase in cannabis use across the country and legalization, oftentimes many people can use it recreationally and they're fine, but other people develop a problem and they, they don't know where to turn for help because they don't identify cannabis use disorder as an addiction. And they don't know that there's a way to seek care that can support them and help them get on the right track. 
right? Yep. Isn't that interesting? I also think it's a it's a positive trend. I, you know, the sober curious movement, people that are sober curious. I, I mean, these are people who realize that, okay, alcohol hasn't completely destroyed my life, but I realize it's not a really healthy way for me to live. I think I need to make a change. And then, as you say, sober January, people take that month to, and they realize, wow, this is not, not as easy as I thought it might be. <laughs> right. And maybe they need a little help and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But also interesting too, that you mentioned marijuana and how it's more accessible now. You know, it's legal in a lot of places. In Colorado, it's legal. Is that presenting problems? It is. You know, I think a lot of people, especially with the increase in mental health conditions, they're self-medicating with substances, right? And they don't realize that they have a problem. Oftentimes I found with, with cannabis use until they try to stop and they realize, wow, this makes my anxiety worse and I can't eat and I can't sleep and I'm angry and I guess I should just smoke again. And that's not the right solution, right? And, it, and it's like changing your behavior in any way, right? Think about losing weight. Some people can go to the gym and they can lose weight and some people can just change their diet on their own. Other people need a nutritionist and they need a physical trainer and they need to work with a doctor. And it's the same thing with changing your relationship with drugs and alcohol. And, you know, cannabis is no different. And you just made me think of something. I wanted to ask about this, the difference between, okay, because you talk about how some people need more. You know, I, I might be one of those people. What is the difference between, if you're going to make this choice, between a therapist and a coach? It's a great question. So the major difference is that a therapist can diagnose and treat mental health conditions, right? So in a lot of ways, therapists and coaches can do the same things, right? They can provide support. They can brainstorm with you. They can help you set goals and work towards them. If you have, you know, deeply rooted trauma that you need to work through, or you're really coping with a debilitating mental health condition, then that's something that's going to be appropriate to work through with a therapist. If you're understanding, you know, how can you connect with your community or broker different resources or need someone you can trust, a coach can oftentimes serve that role extremely well. And so that's something that I think is really important to also educating the folks working in Confidant is that oftentimes they may think that they need a therapist, but really what they're looking for is a coach. And, and both of those options are available. Right. And a lot of states now, and Missouri is one, probably probably every state now, I imagine, has a program where um, peers can be trained, uh, go through a, a training and be certified and these peers are working in uh, in conjunction with therapists and treatment centers and so forth. And it's been found to be very effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's super effective and it helps um, treatment outcomes overall. You know, one thing I'll say, though, that is tough is oftentimes people who enter Confidant who've had any experience with the existing addiction treatment system, they think of a coach and they think of a sponsor or they think of a coach and they say, I don't want that. You know, that's been kind of forced on me in the past. And we are really focused on coaching relationships that are very empowering, that are, you know, driven by the individual's motivations and what the coach can support them with. We're not ever forcing those on people. And so I think it's something where, you know, educating them that this is a coach who not only can help you with your recovery, because some people don't identify with recovery, right? right. Some people just aren't looking for that and they don't want the woo-woo recovery. I don't world, know which... if I saw the word on your website. Yeah, <laughs> 
people don't identify with it, but they are recovery coaches. They have lived experience with addiction, but they're also life coaches, right? They can help you with your finances and your family and your job and, you know, whatever it is that's impacting your life because we treat people as a whole person, right? We're not just treating their, their substance use or their recovery. Language is so important. I, I get to talk to a lot of people that are, I say recovery, but I, I talk to a lot of people who have overcome addiction problems. And it wasn't that long ago, it was a few weeks ago, I was speaking with a listener and she was, she was just kind of new into all of this, into dealing with this. And she hated the word recovery. She hated to think that she was in recovery, which makes total sense to me. You know, it's almost like, you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm doing something, you know, and I will be this way forever. And so I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm getting to where it's like, you know, you use whatever word works for you. You can define this experience however you want to define it and, and explain it and describe it. We completely agree. And, you know, it goes back to that addiction is a spectrum condition, right? Because when, you know, we there's there has been a lot of progress to educate the public that addiction is a disease and not a moral failing. But when you hear chronic brain disease, it's a really scary thing. And so for people to step up and say, I think I have a chronic brain disease, like that's (laughs) really scary. And so if we can make that easier for people to take that step and understand, okay, this isn't a lifelong sentence for, for me, right? Like this is going to be the journey that I make it. And it's, you know, allowing those multiple paths to meaningful, purposeful healing. Right. And that's kind of what our take is. And, and people can define that on their own. Okay. I, I just absolutely love this. I think this is great. I, um, you know, I was hesitant at first, um, went to, 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 you know, I, I checked you out, I checked out this website and I thought I really like this. This really, um, aligns with, uh, what this podcast is about and what our listeners are interested in. And it's something that, um, I think, you know, it's evidence-based and it's, um, accessible for people. I just, I just think, I think what you're doing is great. Tell me this. What do you think about the future of Confidant? Do you see, how do you see it developing over time? Do you see anything changing on the horizon? Anything new that you see coming up? Yeah. So one of the things that we're really focused on, um, and forgive me if I get a little bit nerdy here, but it's, it's on the payment structures, right? So the way that addiction treatment is paid for is rewarding providers for delivering more care, not more effective care. And so we're focused on value-based payment, which will align our financial incentives with how our patients do, right? So because we can track those outcomes, we can then put our payments aligned with those outcomes and say, you know, we want to be paid if people recover and do well, if they achieve their goals. And so that is really what we believe the future of this space will be, um, moving away from the fee-for-service healthcare system, which is where providers get paid for each service they're delivering, um, and aren't really incentivized at all to help people get better. Um, and so we think that we, we need to change that. That's something that we're really excited about, but it is a process to get there. So we have some folks that we're working with um, to move in that direction and expand access to care that is really aligned with what the patients are looking for. For, and also to expand the availability of our services. So right now we are live with clinical care in Connecticut and Virginia because of state licensing. We have to expand, um, you know, step by step. And so we are working actively right now to expand those services to other states. Um, that said, the self-care DIY services and the coaching services are available to everyone everywhere right now. But we're really excited about the ability 
to increase access and continue to grow uh, the impact that we're having. You know, I did an interview with someone, uh, Joanna Conti, and she has a organization called Vista Research Group. Was She's interested in measuring outcomes of, of treatment, which is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but I find it interesting that that you are kind of on on track with her. You seem to be aligned with what she's she's wanting to see in this industry, I guess, the the treatment industry, I guess you want to call it that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, from my background, I, I built the nation's first rating system. So understand the difficulties at an industry wide level that providers are facing and the things that we need to start measuring. Now I'm in the shoes of being a part of a provider organization and actually implementing those things. You know, we've actually built our technology to deliver on those outcomes and to track those outcomes. Over time, that will even grow with sophistication and add in components of AI and machine learning. Um, We're not there yet because you need a substantial amount of data to do that. But it's something we're really excited about and something that You know, I think that what Joanna is doing and what other folks in the industry are doing is absolutely needed, especially because there is, you know, there are thousands of providers out there who don't know where to start. And so having something to assist them is going to be critical to really transforming the whole industry, which, again, is only serving one in 10 of the total people in need. Wow. So tell me, is there any final thoughts uh, as we wrap up that anything that that I didn't cover or that? Yeah, Confidant Health is constantly changing and adjusting to the needs of our members. So we really love feedback from folks. If people want to use the app and provide any insights or thoughts, um, they can get in touch with us and we would love to hear about it. And we're really excited to meet their needs and continue to be really the service that they want to come back to whenever they need additional support in their lives. Um, and so appreciate the time and the ability to talk about the things that we've been working on and our vision for the future. And would love to have some of the podcast listeners come on to the app. Thank you so much, Sam. It was really, really nice to talk to you. I like, I love what you're doing. I wish you the best of luck uh, in, in this venture for sure. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure. And, you know, thank you for having me. And uh, again, for letting us talk about what we're doing at Confidant. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.